are indeed listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and I am very happy to be joining you on this incredibly sunny afternoon in London. This is Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans express ourselves through time. Our theme this week is timeless, aka the timeless nature of art, which in some ways is kind of the premise of this entire show. So it is a big theme this week, but I will be speaking to the wonderful editor of Minerva magazine, Lindsay Fulcher. But before that, I want to compare a few different examples of how art and its themes have remained in some ways very, very consistent throughout time. So the timelessness of art is such an important idea and in some ways, as I mentioned, is kind of the overarching theme of the show Art Then and Now. Because we as humans use art as a way to tell stories about our context, our mentality and our imagination, it's kind of what makes the themes in art universal and, in my opinion, endlessly fascinating. All art has always, in my opinion, flowed through the prism of the human psyche to be created in the first place. And therefore, I kind of see it as being all connected and also very resonant today. Uh, As as humans kind of haven't really changed that much over time, which I'm going to talk a little bit about. But there are countless examples of the recycled themes in art. Um, It was almost impossible to choose one example to speak about. So I have come up with common themes of our everyday self-expression in 2019 and kind of compared them to art from the past. So without hesitation, we're going to kick off with the selfie. Well, (laughs) um, if you want to be really artsy about the selfie, then we could in some ways kind of call this the modern self-portrait. And of course, we know that many artists who have painted themselves um, through the through the art of self-portraits, most notably um, Van Gogh, who painted himself with his mutilated ear in a bandage. I'm sure we kind of all remember that image when we first saw it. Um, and of course, Frida Kahlo, who painted herself in many different contexts to explore her identity in the 20th century. And for centuries, humans have been commissioning paintings of themselves too, if they are unable to paint themselves, Um, you know, from family portraits to ceremonial portraits. Um, They're kind of just a way to sort of present oneself into the world. And almost kind of using artists as a lens um, with its with their own kind of filter system um, before the invention of cameras. And what I kind of mean by that is depending on how much you got paid or um, as an artist or how scared the artist was of um, kind of your power um, and influence, you could kind of choose how to be represented and it could sort of be anything from, okay, I want to be um, bigger or smaller or I want to be taller or I want to be, um, you know, get rid of all uh, the warts, get rid of everything. Um, airbrush me if you will Um, there's a kind of famous example in history which is of Henry VIII who was painted by Hans Holbein and he's kind of this muscular tall robust and portly king he's kind of the example that we think about when we think about Henry VIII um But evidence kind of suggests he didn't really look like this at all. Uh, But of course, this was the image that Henry wanted to uh, portray um, of himself uh, and how he wanted to kind of be immortalised. So in that sense, um, again, he's kind of utilising the idea of that sort of self-portrait of the portrait and have, you know, presenting themselves. He's kind of said, right, I I want I don't have a camera. I can't take a selfie. But can you present me in this way? uh, Filters and all. I don't really need to give too many examples of what we now mean by the modern selfie, um, you know, 
three seconds on Instagram will probably give you a rough idea of how we've become slightly out of control with the idea of self-presentation. Uh, and I'm not saying that the modern selfie is synonymous with art, but they do contain a lot of similar characteristics about identity and projection. If you do look at kind of the modern selfies and how people are wanting to portray themselves, but of course, some of them can actually be classified as art, um, you know, depending on your stance. Uh, Tracy Emin has explored lots around selfies, the artist. Um, and she's kind of, you know, her unmade bed piece, uh, 1998, I think, um, has been kind of classified as the modern self-portrait because she sort of presents herself through props, much as Van Gogh did in his piece um, called The Chair back in 1888. Now, idealised body image, this is, you know, so prevalent in today's society um, and themes of it in art have kind of been very consistent throughout time. Um, throughout history, there have always been archetypal standards of what human bodies should be and what is kind of seen as innately beautiful, just as there are today, unfortunately. Um, of course, this has kind of differed uh, over time and with different cultures, but there's always been a kind of standard um, of every period. Presentations of Roman goddesses, um, sorry, the Roman goddess Venus is a really, really good example. Uh, Botticelli's portrayal of her in 1485 is probably one of the most iconic images that we have of her. She's got this kind of smooth, pale skin, small breasts, she's curvaceous and yet slim she's slightly muscular as well she's got this kind of long and flowing hair and to many this kind of served as the archetype image for what was the feminine and what was the kind of contemporary standard of perfection and of course this has changed over time too we've sort of had the sturdily built muscular presentations of gods and goddesses uh, from greek and roman times we've had the kind of curvaceous women of the Renaissance. We've had the kind of corseted, wasted uh, women of the 18th century and the Victorian era. And of course, uh, it's changed in the modern kind of times with the use of kind of fashion and um, models of a completely different build and stature too. Um, and the backlash of this kind of theme in art has kind of felt today through uh, many modern artists such as Jenny Saville, who has made it her job to kind of redefine the standards of beauty and the presentation of the human form um but as i said the kind of the, the body image has sort of permeated every period in art but it, i think if we can learn anything from this and the fact that it differs so dramatically from period to period um is that all bodies are beautiful and in fact timeless so the environment is another one that has uh, kind of been uh, permeated through history as well. Just as he the human impact of our environment um, is catching up with us today, uh, changes to our environment have also been kind of a subject of art throughout ages. Um, as I mentioned previously, artists such as Turner of the Romantic period are all about sort of reflecting on and rejecting man's impact on nature. Um, and the Industrial Revolution, which began around 1820, completely transformed the landscape of Europe. And, you know, there's people kind of saying, right, I'm going to reject this. We want to talk about nature and kind of its power and the sublimity of it. Um, and it became really, really commonplace um, in paintings during this time. And Caspar David Friedrich, uh, his very famous painting, Wanderer Above the Sea of Fog, which is from 1818, is kind of a really great example of how this, this sort of people reflecting on the environment and the changes that were going on and sort of feeling very nostalgic um, of the for the past and also kind of fearful 
uh, for the future. As I would say, there are many parallels uh, with what's going on today with the environment. And uh, recently I went to the Wildlife Photographer of the Year exhibition and it's sort of a modern day example uh, of kind of how... um, we are kind of as humans negatively impacting the environment and killing animals and things like that. So themes of the environment and, uh, it's kind of interaction with humans has sort of changed the way it's been portrayed, but has always been present. So I hope I have slightly convinced you of the fact that uh, although art has changed dramatically throughout time in kind of the ways that we express ourselves, there have been some many, many common themes and most of these sort of revolve around the human experience. Uh, It is time for my interview with editor of Minerva magazine, Lindsay Fulcher, who gives a fantastic insight into the timeless nature of human expression. Enjoy. So I am here with Lindsay Fulcher, who is editor of Minerva magazine. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. Can we have a little bit of background for the listeners of what started your fascination with art and history and how did you become editor of Minerva magazine? Well, it took me rather a long while. Um, (laughs) When I was age seven at school, I remember drawing, having to draw the pyramid, Great Pyramid and the Sphinx and the Ishtar Gate at Babylon. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I fancy even then, I thought one day I'm going to have to see those. Oh, wow, okay. So it Start was young. <laughs> yes, I love the past. I studied at university at Durham years later. Mm-hmm. Then I went into museums, then journalism, mm-hmm. but nothing to do with archaeology. Right. And then 10 years ago, I got this job. So finally, the seven-year-old desire ah. was... I got there in the yeah, end. Yeah, I realised. And... Um, actually managed to use my degree as well, which is ancient <laughs> history and so on. So when I asked Lindsay what we were going to speak about today, there was a plethora of topics, but one of the things that she referenced was the timelessness of art, which I thought was a very fascinating topic for discussion. So what's kind of behind that statement that you made about art being timeless? Well, I think that um, even little tiny children like to make a mark, mm. even if it's in their scrambled egg, you know. they mm-hmm. Uh, the human being is a creative creature and he must express that some, and often by making visual marks. They mm. can be on cave walls, mm. they can be on canvas, they can be on slate, they can be on stone. Um, we have wonderful rock art all over the world, yeah. uh, mysterious sometimes, um, and then right up to the present day mm. uh, where you can you know, make it in stainless steel and sell it for multi-millions of pounds, as yeah. Jeff Koons did last week with his lovely stainless steel rabbit. So why do you think that we, as humans, create art? Then you mentioned kind of even small children make these kind of marks. Is it to kind of um, immortalise ourselves? What, why do you think that it's... Well, I think, it, I think you can make marks for several reasons, of course. Mm. You can make a rude, rem- rude remarks as well um, mm. on, on walls. But... Uh, well, right, going right back into cave art, it's it's basically saying, I I'm here. Mm. I know I'm here, and here is my mark. It can be a handprint on the wall of a cave. Most beautiful things you can still see them in caves mm. in France. Mm. One called Peshmel, um, and of course there's the famous famous caves of Lascaux, and um, mm. and more recently Chauvet with wonderful art. Mm. Um, so. 
Why was that there? People mm. have speculated. If you go back to the earliest, almost purest, most natural time, some people say it's hunting magic. Some people say mm. it's a portal to another world. Because if you're in this cave in the dark and the light's flickering, those mm. images of horses galloping look as if they're moving. Yes, I've, um, I watched a documentary on this. And it, do you think that they had that in their minds, that they wanted to have a sense of movement, they wanted to be seen in that way? that's so interesting well, how I think it's mysterious that? but the, the the idea of it being portal into another dimension mm. is rather interesting yes. um, originally it was thought oh well they, they did it because they wanted to catch more mammoth bison whatever yeah but it, it, it is I think art is essentially mysterious mm. and I think that is why it continues to fascinate us mm. that made me kind of think about art being spiritual but I, I think that do you think it, it kind of mirrors our fascination with the human psyche? Because I think that we are still trying to understand ourselves. Yeah. And perhaps that is then um, mirrored in the way that we are still trying to understand art and what that it means to us because we don't fully understand our existence. And <laughs> well, we certainly don't. Well, no. I don't. You may. But, no, uh, so, uh, I don't um, have any answers for you. <laughs> no, no, well, no. I think, I think you're right. I think it is mysterious. I, and when you say spiritual, I think in the wider sense you know it is a mystery what you know what is going on what what's on this planet what am i mm. i'm i'm not going to be here for very long which is rather a shame yes. or maybe not yeah. and that whole mystery and and the mystery of consciousness mm-hmm. we, what i mean animals are animals but human beings know they are they say i mm. That means they're here on the planet. And as far as we know, I mean, I mean, it's very hard to say really, but we are the only animal that has a sense of um, its place in the wider universe. And we're cognizant of that, yeah. which is very something that I think everybody struggles with, uh, that we are almost too smart for our own mentality at this current moment in time, it feels. Well, maybe. <laughs> we shall see. Because um, technology is, of course, the rampant force at the moment. We yes. had industry <clears throat> last um, in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's techno. A technological yeah. revolution, which feels like it's doing more damage than good at this moment, but, you know, we'll see. Well, <laughs> we, we, shall, we shall see. Yeah. Um, so you think maybe that we, we kind of create to um, give ourselves a sense of importance mm. and a sense that we were here and that our life wasn't meaningless, maybe? that The other thing is to say, I exist and this is me. Mm. Um, it's It's... A kind of saying I'm here now it gives you a kind of immortality Mm. and maybe you're trying to make sense of whatever it is Mm. yeah by kind of um, representing yourself outside of yourself it gives you a sense of identity to say this is like a mirror yeah exactly Mm. because you can physically see the mark you've made it can be maybe be reinforcing I don't know I think that's really interesting idea um you mentioned to me, um, and I love this phrase you used, the endless creativity of mankind and its production of images. And that's kind of what art represents, I suppose. Mm. Um, so what do you think that imagery gives us as a civilization that other mediums can't? Well, I, it can simply represent beautiful landscape. Say you were a landscape painter. Yeah. The self-portrait is very interesting. It can simply be representational. Um, you want a, a portrait of your cat, you can have that, mm. of course. But high, what I call high art, I mean, 
I think there's such a mystery behind the great painters, um, uh, such as Leonardo, who's mm. much in vogue this year because it's his anniversary, and, and um, yes. Rembrandt. Yeah. I mean, when you see a great painter and you see his face and he's looking back at you, mm. it is astounding. Mm. I mean, it's as if he was alive. It's all, it can be, can be almost as alive as... Um, as, as watching him mm, on TV mm. or another person, mm. and that's true also of icons. Um, icons have that's they look at you and they confront you, and they say, "Who are you looking at?" Actually, mm. right yeah. back at you. Yes, it's it's a really this is particularly the self portrait is very interesting because it's not only are you representing yourself, so you're sort of saying, "This is what I would like to see myself as. This is how I would like you to see me." And this is the interaction, it's, it's a way of controlling the interaction that you have. Um, and again, it's about immortality, isn't it? That is how you will now be mm. viewed. It's, there's paintings of Henry VIII that they say that look absolutely nothing like him, but that's mm. how he would wanted to be presented. Um, well, that's our, of course, that's world. another reason for, for, for painting, for, mm. for great and rich patrons. And yeah. for branding, mm. I mean, to use a modern term. Yeah. To, to give to to project the image, yeah. I am the great king. I am the all power. Yeah. Everybody's artist as P as PR. Uh. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And, and uh, well, they had to had to make money, so they had to do that yeah. to to show the great and the good. Yeah. But then you get these, you know, absolute sweet paintings. I'm thinking of um, one by Van Gogh, where it's it's a peasant woman with potatoes uh, in a field just bent and yes, it's like, I, something so touching I saw it in Amsterdam that. yeah I yes. yeah it, it is touching isn't it I wonder I wonder whether it's because it's the making the mundane very extraordinary and there's something quite um liberating about that and something yes. quite um mysterious as well like the, yes. we see an, it we see a snapshot of somebody's life and that is interesting well, and we can imagine us, how yeah. much the back might ache when you had to do that <laughs> yeah. for hours on end. Oh, I mean, there's, yes. a, there's an empathy there. Yeah. And the portrait, you, if it's of someone you really love, I remember years ago in the 70s seeing a portrait by Hockney mm. of his parents, and particularly mm. his mother, who he loved, clearly yes. he loved so yes. much. I don't go in for much crying, but that <laughs> portrait yeah. actually brought tears to my eyes yeah. because the love the affection with which he portrayed his mother was visceral yeah yes yeah so one thing i want to ask you when i read your response and you said about timelessness i immediately thought about the fact that we are trying constantly to understand the human spirit and the human psyche and perhaps art is so timeless because it's so tied to our need to express ourselves and understand ourselves um i just wonder what you thought about that and maybe the reason it's timeless is because we look at art from from centuries ago, and it still resonates with us because it's still that attempt to understand where we come from, who we are, our context, and mm. things like that. Well, I think you're right. I mean, it it, it doesn't matter. Uh, a simple piece of very early Greek art from the Greek island, Cycladic art. I mean, that looks for many people. They'd say, "Oh, that's a piece of modern sculpture because mm. it's very abstract," mm. but um, immortality uh, runs through art I suppose and um, something that you mentioned earlier which was about mm. how ancient art styles 
come through. We had Egyptomania after Tutankhamun's tomb yes, was yeah. um, discovered in the 1920s. I, everything had to be Egyptian. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, buildings, jewellery, clothing, and Egyptomania swept this country and, mm-hmm. and America. And you mentioned the neoclassical movement earlier. Yes. When everything was beautiful Greek columns mm. and pediments. Well, yes. we tried. And, we and did you try. See, <laughs> you see it around you, all around London. Absolutely. Yeah, you do, you really do. Oh, and, yeah. and, the, and the country houses. Yeah, yeah. Course. Yeah, because we were, we were talking about how, you know, the resurgence of these artistic movements... Is it that we've just sort of run out of ideas as a society, so we hark back to a better a time, or is it that we there's a more psychological element to it where we want to feel rooted in something and part of something, and perhaps it's even an ego thing. We want to place ourselves as being as important as uh, civilizations we hold to a high standard, maybe. Yes. Well, <clears throat> there is a constant myth: um, the golden age. You know, yes. and, 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 and you can suffer from it uh, when you get to a certain age. And yeah. you say, oh, it wasn't like when I was a child. Yeah, that no. It <laughs> goes back beyond that. It's a, it's a sort of Garden of Eden myth, mm. the golden age. Mm-hmm. Um, the Greeks had it. Um, uh, and the Garden of Eden, obviously, is, is the original sort of paradise for, uh, for us, maybe. Mm. Um, so it's always, it was so beautiful then. Um, mm. Everything was perfect and proportion was perfect mm. and it was elegant it wasn't it was yeah all, I know it's it might have been it, if you were yeah. stonking rich but you try being a Roman slave even actually being in the Roman imperial family mm. you were lucky not to get away without being poisoned mm. um, yeah, yeah. so you yeah, know it's funny it, that we, it, have these... we gilded we yeah. gilded the gilded age the golden age of the past we have a very romantic idea of the past and it, it I wonder why that we it sort of goes hand in hand with the dissatisfaction of the present and I wonder mm. whether that's just the human condition <laughs> well I, I, I think it must be I mean the past we know about the past at least we think we do because yeah. it's already happened well exactly so we, we got don't it do in a really box it. But yeah. the present is the present, and the future is uncertain. Mm. Yes, that's so true. Um, yeah, maybe that's why we feel that we need to root ourselves because of that uncertainty. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm again, I'm just hypothesizing, but I could be completely wrong. But I want to talk about a little bit about artifacts because whether they're coins and armor, they sort of tell a story and help us kind of piece together the narratives of our history do you think that's why they're still relevant now like they're, they're very timeless artifacts have a timeless quality to them we still have them in our house as decoration armor is a very interesting um, um subject yes uh, not only in itself and going back to medieval times and uh, tudor times and so on mm. there were fashions in armor and you had to have a very yes. nipped in waist and you could Poor young men used to faint because they were so nipped in. Hey, know, that's interesting that they had to deal with that as well. <laughs> yes, and then later we had the corsets. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Uh, 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 Tobias Capwell, who is the great armors, armory expert at the Wallace Collection, he, mm. you know, he said um, having the latest suit of armor uh, in the past was like having the latest pair of trainers. It was How a status symbol yeah, if you were yeah. a young man about yeah, court. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, of course, it's taken up by artists such as Henry Moore, yeah. who who looked at that and thought, talking of human condition, yeah. we're all like that. We all armour ourselves mm. because we're afraid, basically. Yeah. And we want to appear strong <laughs> yeah. and impregnable. Yeah. 
and we can go around and we have a big sword and yeah. you better watch out you know but that that concept is very timeless of one of the kind of the status and the armor those two things kind of go hand in hand and that is very much how i see fashion and even makeup to some extent like i i feel more confident if i'm wearing something particular or i you know have mascara on or whatever it is um that is my armor for the day and that concept is very timeless and it, it seems to me that we're kind of kind of butting up against this constant theme that we uh, our timelessness is so related to how we as people have not really changed I mean I've kind of thought about it a little bit and maybe the fact that the soldiers that have worn that attire that kind of military gear they're the ones that have sort of shaped the world we live in today so I suppose that it still has a relevance in that sense maybe too because that armour is very representational of battles and things that have very much shaped history mm-hmm. um and how, how can we kind of live our lives now and have our context now without referencing that i i, I feel like well you, could, you, you just watch game of thrones don't you yes don't tell me the end i haven't seen um, <laughs> I don't, look i don't even know the beginning so it's oh, no okay. good asking me for anything but you're not a fan one. how have you it's, no i don't know I mean, it's, it's, on, the wrong, it's on the wrong evening or something <laughs> I think if you miss if you miss it from the beginning, you've yeah, never had it's it. a commitment. To I'm catch not a bo- up, I'm, I'm, I'm not a boxer type of person, right? But um, uh, with with Minerva, we're owned by um, Christian Levitt, and he has the best co- private collection of ancient armor, I think, more or less in the world. Mm. He collected um, in the end of the 20th century, and has this fabulous collection. But then. He, he, and, and plenty of antiquities as well. Amazing. And he opened his own museum, so we can all go and see it, and that's in Mougins, mm. in the south of France. Um, it's called the Mougins Museum of Classical Art, mm. and well worth a look. And yes. as I say, not just armour, but all kinds of art mm. mixed up and um, ranging. For example, if he has a, uh, a statue of Venus, Greek or Roman, mm. next to it, he will have Salvador Dali's statue of Venus, uh, Andy oh, Warhol so print, yes, of, yeah. an, an Andy Warhol print of Aphrodite, and um, and then the blue Venus of Eve Klein, this wonderful dark blue yeah. um, Eve Klein, uh, it's like torso. velvet almost, doesn't it? It's, it's heavenly. <laughs> we were looking at an image of it now, and it's just we stunning. are. It's it's that purpley blue that. Yeah, yeah. Um, much loved by Yves Saint Laurent. The museum, I you know, I've um, I've been researching it. It looks incredible. It's right in Cannes. So any excuse to go to uh, South of France, absolutely do it. Um, yes. But is there is there a point to um, why he's placed those images together? Is that very much to show the timelessness? Is that is that kind of? Um, I, I the, well, that, that's what I believe. Um, I mean, Picasso said, you, "You don't have ancient and modern art. There's just art. There's yeah. just art." Yeah. So. timelessness in that sense Uh, of course Picasso was influenced by African art Mm. but when he was asked about that he said never heard of it, what do you mean? You know, uh, but he, he okay, collected that. Contrary, collected, well, he was, he was quite a yes, he was quite a one of the awkward squad, definitely. Yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, artists are also rather like magpies, unless they're terrifically purist. Mm. Uh, how can you not be influenced by other mm. artists, by other people? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, in a way, there's nothing new under the sun, and yet. 
everything is new. Mm. Every mm. single thing is brand new. Yeah. So it's a weird paradox no, we that. live in. So how does Minerva magazine, you're the editor, how does it approach the idea of art being timeless? Because Christian Levitt had this idea about uh, in his museum, mm. I kind of picked that up and run with it. So that right. we've had interviews with Anthony Gormley and um, we, we had a Damien Hurst on our front cover and uh, so we we can have art from any period but mm. it's it references back to the ancient greeks to the egyptians to something yes but interestingly enough every other museum is doing it now mm. i'm not necessarily mm. saying that mujan was the first but <laughs> you know the british museum yeah. would have a mark quinn of kate moss mm. doing some impossible yoga posture um and the ashmolean the, the the adorable lovely old ashmolean museum is now you know shock horror got a show of jeff coon's work it is criticized as being um a gimmick mm. just to get people in mm. i do you know i don't really care because the point is art is art so yeah. get over yourself, yeah. go and look at Jeff Koons. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, kind of put your prejudices just behind you for yeah. half an hour. Yeah. Where can people go to find out more about you, your work, and Minerva Magazine? Minervamagazine.com is the place to go. Uh, a subscription is... It's a giveaway, basically. Lindsay, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. Isn't she great? I thought she said some really insightful things about the timeless nature of art. You are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now. If you like archaeology, history, art and good journalism, then definitely get yourself a subscription to Minerva magazine. You're going to look far fancier on the tube with that bad boy than the Metro. Um, And I was just thinking as well, talking of uh, kind of themes in art recycling themselves, um, it just occurred to me about Shakespeare as well because this is a really glaringly obvious one um and the fact that there's so many um kind of things in our modern culture that are uh, so kind of kind of recycled from Shakespeare's work 10 Things I Hate About You the 1999 film um, is based on the taming of the shrew and she's the man again in Hollywood 2006 based on Twelfth Night so there you go there's another nugget of ways that um, kind of themes in art have recycled themselves universal themes of love jealousy and betrayal etc um, that is all we've got time for this afternoon thank you for listening to Art Then and Now with me Anna Gammons for any of the images discussed on this week's show or to contact me please visit the Facebook site at the Art Then and Show. Thank you so much, Viv, and 